0: Hello and welcome to Create, Talk, Repeat. My name is Dustin Brenton. On this episode, I spoke with Nick Abstract, a colorblind contemporary artist specializing in geometric abstraction. His works are inspired by architecture with stylistic nods to graphic design and style writing. Basically, it's really cool. You need to check it out. But before we get to that interview, here's a word from our sponsor. Stay tuned. Anchor.fm is now Spotify for podcasters. New name, improved experience. Spotify is more dedicated than ever to empowering creators. This platform will continue to offer the best features to grow your podcast and distribute it everywhere, all for free. Visit podcasters.spotify.com for more details. Back to the show. Hello, and today on Create Talk Repeat, I'm joined by Nick Abstract. Nick, thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for the invite.
0: I have uh, ever since I started this podcast. There's there's a few people whose name keeps coming up, and I've had some of them on, like Lloyd Brooks and uh, Jonathan Wilson, and different names that just come up from time to time. And and Nick is one of the people who keeps coming up from other people that I, I talk to about the podcast. You got to talk to Nick, got to talk to Nick. And I think part of it is also we're both Hoosiers. Uh, we're both uh, from from Indiana. So, uh, you know, there's that connection. and That's why I hear a lot of of uh, people telling me to talk to him. But so I thought, well, fine, I'll put Nick on the podcast. <laughs> I looked up his work. It's fantastic. So I'll, I'll just start with the question I ask everybody. Uh, Nick, what do you create?
1: Oh, what do I create? Oh, that's that's a question I ask myself every day. Uh, I mean, I, I tend to do a lot of murals, kind of exterior and interior murals, whether it be small, large, tall, wide. Um, and then in the winter months, when the Midwest gets too cold to be painting outside, I tend to uh, work in the studio. I do like large canvas prints, uh, canvas paintings. Um, I've also started painting other materials like I did this series of saw blade paintings um, and then I've kind of recently gotten into doing some 3D sculpture and things of that sort but uh, I mean sort of whatever creatively gets me going I just I tend to dive into and try to understand and come up with I don't know stuff that I enjoy doing.
0: Yeah so when you're Nick has a really I would say distinct style about the with the work that you do. It's very uh, a lot of geometric shapes and lines. And um, I was telling Nick before we started recording. it said it makes me want to step up my game because uh, the stuff that I do is is all just bold colors and um, geometric shapes and stuff. But his is like a whole nother level of what from what I do. And so, how did you how did you get to that style? Like, were you always you know drawing things in this uh in or drawing and and painting in this um style or was was there other you know did you start out drawing you know bowls of fruit and still lives and whatnot and then kind of work your way into this how did you get to that
1: that's a good question man um i remember as a kid i was really into sports as a kid and different sports athletes and stuff and so I would have my own, like, kind of cartoon versions of drawing, you know, Michael Jordan, Peyton Manning, things of that nature. But I always drew this mountain. Like, you know, like, how you start the mountain and it's just kind of like a zigzag across the top. Mm-hmm. and Then you put the horizon line and then some clouds and stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, like, second or third grade, I would do, like, very simplified mountainous landscapes. And I remember my favorite part of drawing those was always the spiky mountains. Mm-hmm. Like, something about... Spiky, sharp lines. I, I don't really know what it is, man. I've always just been drawn to uh, kind of that jagged nature of, of, of sharp shapes and stuff. I, I really couldn't tell you why. Yeah. I just, I've always found it, it's fun to do. And it's, you know, you kind of, as a kid, you're sort of like, when you're drawing the mountains, you sort of let your arm have like a little bit of a, like a seize, like it just, like an electric pulse just kind of zigzags your hand across the page. Mm hmm. And that way of creating, I always found fun because you're not really thinking of what it's going to be first. It just kind of like what happens happens and then you keep adding from there. So, yeah, yeah, I've always just kind of loved that stuff. I, I don't know why.
0: Oh, I love I love the idea of creating motion or action or conveying some sort of emotion just through basic shapes and not actually showing what that thing is so if you want to show you know, some sort of movement or some sort and it goes back to my original so I'm a graphic designer and my original graphic design classes we started out with basic shapes and it was basically an art class of show tension show scale and all we had were you know squares and rectangles or you know triangles whatever and I and I I always grabbed onto that cuz I always thought that was really cool cuz I don't have the talent to actually draw and actually paint real life things. So to be able to show those things and still realize, Hey, I can still convey these emotions to create a sense of action. And it's, it's interesting. You said, you know, sports and stuff. Cause I can totally see this being the, the work you do is as part of like, um, like i said showing like action and showing motion and you know if you slapped up you know a reggie miller over the top of one of these or you know whatever it would it would still show like it would still work so um Thanks, what did, what uh, your your color schemes are really bold and stuff and when i read on your website it says you're colorblind is that is that true do you have do you have problems with picking out colors or you've learned how to adapt to it and how does that work for you
1: A short answer. Yes. And yes, (laughs) long answer. Um, yeah, it's, it's been all I've, I mean, it's been my vision for ever since I was a little kid. I it's, it's not like I could see regular colors. And then over time, eventually it it went away to where I couldn't see colors as well. Mm -hmm. It was more so, I mean, my vision is just a little less than others. So, you know, the way I like to explain it is kind of like on Instagram, when you go to post a photograph, you've got the saturation knob that you can like move up and down. Mm -hmm. Um, My vision is kind of like that saturation knob turned down a little bit. So it it mutes almost all colors except for kind of blues and oranges. Mm -hmm. Um, I I feel like I can see blue and orange with decent confidence, Um, but it's colors like browns and reds and greens. Those all start to kind of muddy together. Um, Even pink sometimes can, can look sort of gray. Like pink doesn't really pop like it does for other people, um, it seems. But yeah, it's presented its issues in in creating art, and it's it's kind of another reason that I've that I've leaned towards abstraction because, I mean, if if you paint a triangle, you know, a slightly different shade of pink than what you had in your head, no one's gonna be like, oh, there goes Nick. He, he painted the wrong pink in that section. God right. forbid. You know, it's just like. abstract art allows more flexibility and more freedom with that, which Mm -hmm. I enjoy. Um, But it also with painting realism, I also respect realism to the highest degree. I mean, when people can do it and they can paint it that well, I just, I don't want to be the guy to just kind of bastardize that and, you know, paint the wrong skin tones. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess if I, I could paint realism if it was, if it was black and white pretty efficiently. Um, But I just I don't really like that of realism. I mean, I like to see the colors. I like to see the the warm and cool tones on a on a facial structure and mm-hmm. and how all that stuff looks. So I kind of just leave that to people who who can see the right colors and just let them do their thing. But um, I, I've dabbled in it here and there, and I I can do it. It's just mentally, it's kind of taxing, man. Yeah. It's like yeah.
0: Well, and I wonder how much of that you know, like you said your colors are more desaturated in your vision but when i look at it the, the work that i see of yours is very bold and very you know bright colors so you, is does it feel like um for lack of a better word like an overcorrection like you pick more bold bright colors to you know so that you can really feel them and see them much better than uh you know the the lower end of the spectrum
1: yeah, it's like that scene from uh, from Shrek where they go to they go to Lord Farquaad's castle, and it's it's massive. It's like, oh, he's compensating for something. <laughs> you know that that's me, I guess. You know, yeah. I, when you put it that way, it does make sense. But I also like to just use colors that people who also may be colorblind mm-hmm. they can see them. Like if I can see them and they're super vibrant to me, I'm just imagining like a colorblind person rounding the corner and seeing. One of these bright orange and peach and you know navy blue murals and they're just like dude yeah. why is this uh, you know art doesn't really speak to people like that you know mm-hmm. if you're colorblind art is really dull you know so if i can do something that you know to people of the regular color-sided spectrum or also colorblind folks can can see and appreciate i, I think that's pretty neat
0: yeah so you said you know you remember drawing mountains and such when you were a little kid when did when did you start creating? When did you kind of work yourself into uh, you know, this is my path, I'm gonna be an artist. When was, did you st- start seeing that as a young, at a young age, always drawing and coloring, you like doing that? Or was it something that came later in life?
1: Um, I guess my older brother, Patrick was very, he's very analytical and like very, very book smart. And he was always like really good in school. Um, my older sister was also, you know, good at school, and she became a nurse. And so they all they all went, like, the school route and really dug their heels in there, which I respect, too. Um, but I was never that great in school, but I wasn't terrible either. I just – I always found my favorite part of going to school was when I'd have downtime, and I could just draw. You know, I could – whatever goofy ideas I had in my head or whatever TV shows I was watching, I could – I could replicate. Um, whenever I'd go to the library, I would, um, I would rent how to draw Garfield books or how to draw, you know, there were these books at that time, back when libraries were, Mm -hmm. you know, kids would go to them instead of just the internet. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I was always just drawing and and filling that, you know, every homework assignment, there's always a white border around it. You know, I would have doodles all (laughs) over the border of my homework assignments. Um, so yeah, I've um, always been drawing and creating for sure, and I'm I'm sure you can relate too as as a designer.
0: Yeah, that sounds it sounds like my son. He brings back you know he he wants to be a scientist when he grows up, and he's you know super smart and whatnot. But like whenever he brings home homework uh, or schoolwork, whatever, he has all these drawings all over it, and I'm like, did you at least let the teacher grade it first before <laughs> you started drawing on it so he could see your no. answers? No, so, yeah, I just started drawing it, and the teachers are are cool with it. They're fine with it, you know, whatever. So, but I told him like, okay, at some point there may be a teacher that doesn't like this. So, you know, <laughs> know your limits, but yeah. you know, as uh, you know, for myself, I, I was always kind of into, you know, design or art or whatever. I always liked it, but I was never, I, I, my brother was really good at drawing. And so I always saw that as well. I'm, I'm not good at it. He's good at it. And so I was never really once, but I, I do find myself sketching, um, that uh, the cube, you know, you put two squares and you connect the the lines. I was fascinated by that. Like you said, with the mountains, I'm fascinated with the, the cube and I always would, would do that. So I was always drawing basic shapes and stuff. So I guess yes. that kind of translates. I didn't think about it till you just mentioned this, but I always find myself doodling and drawing, even when I'm, uh, you know, on the phone with somebody, I'm taking notes, but I'm also in the, in the margin of the paper, drawing little squares and filling them in and making checker patterns or something like that. So, right. It makes sense. You're opening up a whole new world to me, Nick. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is something I didn't think about. So where did where did this uh, this passion for art come from? If um, you know your your you said your siblings were more a- academic and were your parents artistic? Were they or did they do anything creative?
1: Yeah. So my dad, he was a mechanic when I was growing up, and so he's a he's a fixer. He likes to tinker and rip stuff apart. And uh, try to figure it out. And as a kid, I always kind of felt like I wanted to do that. But I also didn't at the same time. It's like I respected that. But, uh, you know, when I would see him in the garage taking, you know, an engine apart and putting it all back together, I would just walk outside and just be like, dude, I don't, (laughs) I don't know what is going on. And at the same time. My mom was also a cake baker for um, St. Elmo's restaurant downtown. Yeah. So like she would have clients from St. Elmo's that would reach out and then she'd be at home baking the cakes and then we would help her take them downtown. And so um, it's kind of funny because I have a background in like graffiti writing and and painting graffiti and in graffiti culture, it's, it's kind of like there's a thing where people have what's called like a black book. And it's just like kind of a sketchbook of a bunch of ideas and things that they've painted or, you know, they even catalog the stuff that they've painted in in like a a photo album, Mm -hmm. if you will. So a few years ago, I was with my mom and she pulled out her black book, which was all these cakes that she had baked over the years for, you know, this guy was a Colts player. This guy was the mayor and just all these crazy cakes. And she also did wedding cakes that were multi-layered with like waterfalls coming down and like I mean, it got crazy, but I always remember coming home and just seeing, uh, you know, my mom baking some wild cakes and my dad working on something in the garage. So I guess creative thinking and just making something was kind of always in the household too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then my mom's side of the family, they're all extremely artistic. Um, and <laughs> the funny part too, is that's the side where a lot of them are also colorblind, <laughs> which is a little bit strange. Right. Um, And so my mom, her sisters and brothers, they all took art lessons with this, this old lady named Donna. Um, She lived on the east side of Indianapolis, still does. Um, And so basically my grandma was taking lessons with this Donna lady. And so my grandma decided, oh, I should bring my kids there. So she brought my mom, her siblings. And then by the time I was growing up, my mom decided to bring us. So like the whole, the whole ritzy side of the family, which is my mom's side. Mm-hmm. We've all taken art classes with this old lady Donna. It's kind of kind of interesting. It's like kind of a matriarchal structure right. where uh, art knowledge has been passed down via the generations. But uh, yeah, that taught me a lot early on for sure. You
0: talk about learning from Donna. Do you have any other formal training, or is it all self-taught?
1: Um, well, kind of like you, I have a background in graphic design too. So after high school. I went to Heron, studied visual communication design. Um, And then after that, I was uh, working in advertising for a few years. So design was kind of at the forefront of my art practice for quite some time. Um, As far as being an artist, you know, if I'm being completely honest, in our design classes, we sort of looked at the the people who are art majors or painters or illustration majors, and it, it was kind of like, it was sort of that old adage of like, you know, now that photography is around, why do you need to paint? You know, it was kind of like that old school way of thinking where I just, I didn't really see the role of an artist. I didn't understand what could be communicated when you have Photoshop and after effects and all these high level programs. Like what do people communicate on a canvas anymore? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that was just kind of like old school technology that has kind of, lived its prime. I never thought I'd have anything to contribute to that. But Mm -hmm. on the contrary, I just, uh, I didn't necessarily understand the value of, of of creating from yourself and not always for a client. Um, I, I guess I established value through my design work through um, I guess the client that was paying to do the work. But, you know, innately as designers, as artists, we do have ideas ourselves and ideas that you know, either culturally or, um, artistically can sort of push the envelope. So it's up to us to kind of do it and, you know, put it out in the world. If it's a dud, it's a dud. If, if some people resonate with it, cool. If not, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, when I was in design, I just kind of wasn't, uh, I felt creatively limited a little bit. Design felt like it got sort of copy paste for a lot of designers. It was like, oh, go on dribble and, you know, see what's popular now and just kind of replicate that. And then we'll send that to the client. And it's just like,
0: you know, and I, I'm not
1: even talking agency work. I'm saying even freelance stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. the stuff a client would send you is just, Hey, we want kind of this.
0: I like, want to look like this person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, yeah, it works. It, I mean, it would be successful. And when I make it, I'm sure it'll probably deliver the ROI that you're asking for, but, um, <laughs> You know, as an artist and a creative, I'm trying to push the freaking envelope Mm -hmm. and do stuff that people would be like, what is going on? And, you know, piquing curiosity and things like that. So, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a long winded answer to your question. I
0: apologize. I have I I love when clients ask me, are you happy with this design? And my reply back to them is always are you happy with it because if you're happy with it i am because that's my job is to make mm-hmm. you happy with the design and like you know what i've done something different maybe but you gave me these parameters so if you like it and you and it accomplishes what you want then i'm happy for you you know but i understand completely of you know i love i love that i have a profession that i can be creative in that i can be a designer i can i can create stuff but I'm not creating for myself. I'm creating for somebody else. So I always am trying to find some other outlet to be creative, whether that's writing, whether that's producing music, whether that's uh, painting, which I took up like two years ago. And yes. I never, I was kind of the same way with you. Like I don't, I don't really saw myself as being an artist or being a painter or whatever. And I started doing it. I'm like, this is really fun. And I started doing it for myself. It was just for me. I, I've literally not sold a piece of artwork. I've given some to some friends and stuff, but it's just for my own creative outlet. And and like you said, if if I put it out there and nobody likes it, oh well, I did it for myself. I'm having fun, and it's just uh, I go into a a place of Zen when I'm in front of a canvas and I'm just painting. And uh, and I'm I'm in I'm a Zen calm state until I go to pull the the tape off and it's bled underneath the tape. and Oh then I'm God. Angry.
1: <laughs> pure rage dude pure rage <laughs> well, <laughs> nothing infuriates me more
0: well i was gonna ask because i saw some of the videos that you've done and seeing the work that you do and you you've uh, you know you tape off a section and you were using spray paint and is that is that typically your medium is spray painting uh or are you do you use like acrylics you, with paper how do you do that what's your this is a long-winded question but what's your process of you know creating artwork. And then I'm going to ask about taping and, and not bleeding underneath the tape. Cause that's sure. a, that's a fight that I fight with every time I put paint on canvas. So what's your process? Yeah. How do you, how do you come up with your ideas and uh, do you sketch them out first or what, how does that work?
1: Sure. Good question. Um, most of my ideas start out, I mean, as like a simple sketch or just a composition. Um, and it, it kind of started when I was at my day job, I'd go out for lunch, um, and kind of sit on the, sit on the rooftop of the parking garage and I would, I would just be staring at all the buildings downtown. And, um, you know, certain days, the light would hit the buildings a certain way. And I would just start sketching kind of shadows and compositions I saw with the architecture downtown. And, um, and also as a graffiti artist and a graffiti writer, you sort of, you're interfacing with the city in a very unique way to where, you know, the architecture and the structures that you're surrounded by really provide a sense of place. and so all of a sudden, my mind is filled with a lot of architectural shapes and, and things like that. So I just sort of regurgitated them out onto, uh, you know, I'd have like Adobe Illustrator open or or even on my phone. I would just kind of sketch with my finger mm-hmm. um, just different compositions I saw. And, you know, even just looking at a car, you know, the way, a, you know, BMW headlight wraps around the contour and, you know, just it's one of those things like as a creative getting inspired, a lot of people try to look at other art to inspire their art, but I just try to look at everyday life, you know, just the way a a headlight or a building or a overpass shadow is casted across the street. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And just, just capturing life and and finding a way to replicate that. So, you know, a lot of my ideas start as kind of a, an Adobe illustrator sketch, um, just like a quick color study Um, and as far as like using acrylics and oil and things like that, dude, I have the utmost respect for people who can do that, but I've, I've done a few, um, what's it called? Like still life studies Mm -hmm. on, um, on canvas using oil and acrylic and the, the content is painted well, but the colors are just not right. I mean, I remember before I got into art school, I had to had to submit a portfolio and I had never really done oil painting before that. And, dude, I spent six hours on this painting mm-hmm. and I was I was proud of it, man. I painted like a I forget what the heck it was. It was like something on a table and I brought it to show my parents. And I was like, hey, you know, I just you know, I spent six hours painting this. What do you guys think? And my dad looked at it and he goes. I don't remember us having a green table like that. And I was like, oh God, it's supposed to be a wood table. I thought it was brown. He's like, no, it looks like it's painted green. I'm like, no, oh, geez. Man.
0: That's where you go. That was on purpose. That's an artistic choice. That's yeah,
1: the... <laughs> Dude, I could only sell that for so long. That was my excuse for the longest time. But at a certain right. point, I just, uh, I had to just accept it. But I don't know. Does that answer your question? Did you, yeah. Did,
0: did you, when, when did you learn you were colorblind? When did you, was it, was it around that time where he was like, why is this green? (laughs) Or did you know as a kid?
1: Yeah, I knew as a kid that, that time it was before I went to college. That was like senior year of high school. But we found out because my older brother brought one of those, uh, like he was learning about colorblindness in elementary school Mm -hmm. and he had brought, or maybe it was middle school at the time for him. He brought one of those colorblind studies.
0: Got like the numbers and the the circles
1: and stuff. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, he brought that. And like, they were all looking at him and I, dude, I couldn't see any of them. <laughs> and, you know, with my mom, um, her sisters and brothers, some of them being colorblind, she was like, yeah, you know, Nick, I'm pretty sure you probably have not makes you know? sense.
0: Yeah. So now back to like the actual technique, you know, when you're, you have this idea and these, you know, shapes and you want this to be yellow and this to be blue and this to be white and they're all kind of intersecting and whatnot and you're you're taping off all the sections how how much um what's your process of making sure that the the paint doesn't bleed underneath as much as possible because i know that's a struggle i've talked with um i talked to uh, an artist named k uh, and he had some uh tips and tricks on you know different types of tape that he uses or i what i always do is i put down i just use regular blue uh, scotch painter's tape And then I put a a matte coating over it to kind of create a barrier. So it doesn't bleed underneath it. Do you do anything like that to keep it from bleeding or do you just pray a lot?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was doing that for a while. That, that, that clear acrylic medium is really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that we were talking about doing acrylic paintings early on before I was spray painting my, Mm -hmm. my studio work, I actually was mixing colors and trying to do it that way. And, that stuff, I, I think because it's kind of water latex based, that stuff really likes to crawl underneath tape like super bad. Um, and so I, I was every shape I would do, I would put the clear acrylic medium along the tape edge. I'd take my, uh, my, um, oh, what's it called? Hair dryer. I don't know why I couldn't think yep. of that. Take the hair dryer and heat the medium just to kind of dry it. And then mm-hmm. I'd apply the paint and peel the tape. But it just, I'm, I'm such an impatient guy, dude. Like I, I, I'm like, I don't have time to put a clear on every line I'm going to do here. So, Mm -hmm. um, and like I said before, I was doing large scale graffiti stuff. So I was like, dude, I, I feel like at this point, it's going to be easier for me to paint something larger than it's going to be for me to paint these small pieces in my, in my apartment. So I started basically using spray paint almost exclusively at that point. Um, and spray paint, there's, there's ways you can do it that minimize the amount of bleed, um, for sure. But I always found canvas to just kind of be a, it's somewhat of a tricky texture for tape, man, Mm -hmm. because it moves, it flexes, it has a grit to it. Um, it, it, it's also sensitive to like temperature and, and bending and dents and stuff like that. So I mean, that's kind of another reason I recently started painting these these metal saw blades because I'm like, dude, tape is going to be smooth as butter on this stuff, right? Um, which I really enjoy because I mean, dude, I didn't have to use any clear acrylic medium on any of those, that's which awesome. saves a lot of time. Yeah, it really
0: does. I'm with you. I'm I'm so impatient. I have a hair dryer. I'm I'm looking at my painting station over here. I have a hair dryer. I have my tape and stuff, and I'll, I'll you know tape something down. I'll put my hair dryer on it, and it'll end up blowing other things off the table as I'm trying to <laughs> dry the this area. Because I'm the same way. And when I start working on a piece, I want to like I want to work on it and get it done, and I don't want to spend days and days and hours and months. I mean, I know people that'll. Work on artwork for months. Oh, I'm gonna come back to that, or I'll I put some color on here, and then I'll come in. and I'm like, no, I have this idea, I want to get it done now. So, I I'm I'm looking at your um one of your uh, uh, groups of works that I really like is the Planetary Neighbors. Um, and what what's the what's the substrate that you that you painted that on? Is that, are those canvases?
1: Yeah, those are on canvases. Um, they're on these really cool canvases as well that I found. Um. So when I started doing canvas studies and and, and paintings, I was like, you know, if someone buys these, I'm going to have to ship them to people Mm -hmm. and shipping canvases. is like, as soon as I looked it up and started doing research into it, it's extremely expensive. You know, you can't just, you know, put a shipping tag on the back of the canvas and expect it to arrive at their house in one piece. That's not going to happen. So I found there's people who are building, you know, wooden boxes and enclosures are securely tucking the canvas inside of it and shipping that. And that costs a thousand dollars or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I found this company called genie canvas, Mm -hmm. like genie in a bottle. And uh, it's, it was this guy out of New York. um, And he basically made these canvases that you, you purchase them from him. He ships it to you in a FedEx approved tube Mm -hmm. and the canvas comes out of the tube. And then it literally rolls apart like a, like a scroll and then there's the, the the wooden frames that basically, like, clip in. And then the bottom side of the canvas just Velcros to the frame. And they're right. already primed. They're already gessoed. And so literally from tube to fully assembled canvas is, like, a minute and a half. Oh, wow. And you don't have to build the frame. Like, like I said, I'm not very uh, – I'm not – Super good with numbers and math and stuff. So, Mm. as soon as I start making frames and cutting wood up myself, I'm losing fingers. (laughs) I'm also having very abnormal shaped canvases that don't work and they don't stand on the wall the right way. So, as soon as I can outsource some of that to people who have a cool system for it, Mm -hmm. I was all on. So, yeah, those are all painted on Genie canvas. And since it's a FedEx approved tube that it ships in, you can also ship it in the same tube. In the same tube.
0: Yeah. Well so, then once it's done, you, you just take it apart, roll it up, and put it in like a poster and just and yep. ship it that way. And it doesn't lose any of its integrity of the, the paint on it or anything like that. Very cool. No, not at all. I'll have to I'll and have it, to look it that saves up. a
1: lot of money on shipping too, because I mean you could ship a painting from Indiana to LA for like forty bucks, thirty right. bucks.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. So those, those works are the, the planetary neighbors are all based off of the planets in our solar system. And I love, I just, I, man, I love this stuff. I love that. It's not exactly, you know, it's it's a representation of each one of those planets and stuff. And my with my son being super into science and we are all into space stuff. He wants to work for NASA one day. And with and and also all the artistic stuff that we do, he and I do, like this just fits right in our wheelhouse. And I'm like loving every every piece on here. So when you you mentioned when you start doing your work, you start by drawing in Illustrator, right? And I'm the same way. When I'm working on, I try to do an illustrator because I, when painting, I don't have a command Z. I can't undo. Right. And, but when I'm the an family. illustrator, yeah, right? In illustrator, I can command Z all day long. And so I can get something that look the way I think I'm going to paint it, you know. And then when I get out here, then I go, okay, well, that box is four inches by four inches. And I can lay it out that way. So with each one of these planetary neighbors and any of this other work, you, you start an illustrator almost exclusively every time?
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, I I started um, that series was kind of strange because I I ended up doing 10 pieces in full Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what they were going to look like before I started doing them. I just knew I wanted to do something centered around the planets. I wanted to do one piece per planet, Mm -hmm. but I didn't even know what that meant. So, like, I had a bunch of sketches and a bunch of ideas. Um, So I did an illustrator design for for Mercury. So I also wanted to paint them in order from the sun outward. Yeah. So Mercury had to be the first one. It's the first planet in the system. So I was like, all right, Mercury is the one. And as soon as I did the first kind of digital Illustrator mock-up of Mercury, I was like, okay, I think if I can keep the rest of them in the same vein, I think that'd be good. So Mm -hmm. then I made Venus in Illustrator. And then as soon as I got to Earth, I just kind of like – I didn't really need to do the designs on the computer anymore because I already kind of had the style for what they need to be. Yeah. So from that point, I just moved to um, selecting the colors that I needed for each planet. So before I would even do Mars, I would just look through all of my spray paint and be like, these are the colors mm-hmm. based on my research that would make sense for Mars. Right. Um, and then I would kind of sketch just a pencil sketch of kind of what those colors would be used for and, and sort of go from there. But Yes, yeah, so like the first, few, the first few were from Illustrator. The rest were just kind of on the, on the fly.
0: How much research did you do for each planet? Were you like looking up, you know, information about a each lot. one? And start, try to figure out what, what exactly you're going to convey on this?
1: A lot, man. I, I did a whole week of research before mm-hmm. I even started concepting any ideas. So, you know, the first stage for me as a designer, artist, researcher was just visual information. So I went as far back as the earliest photographs of the planets. I downloaded them. I have a whole like archive folder of just like planets, planet photos, you know, um, like rover photographs. So lots of rovers have been to Mars. There've even been a few rovers that have made their way to Venus. Um, And so there's a few photographs from the surface of Venus. I just found that to be crazy and wild. So I just cataloged as much information as I could um, and also tried to find any information about each planet that I thought was just wild. Just like Mm -hmm. the most death metal thing about planet Venus. I was like, let's just include that, you know? Right. So, you know, the canvases I feel like are cool and interesting, but I also wanted, you know, and this is a struggle maybe you can relate to as well with, with abstract art too is, and maybe it's just me being early in my career, but I'm trying to establish that it's not just abstract for abstract sake. Like it's not just a, a masturbatory pursuit. It's like, I'm trying to ground this in something that's, that's real tangible. And that, that speaks beyond just art for art's sake. Um, You know, abstract art doesn't have to be void of any meaning. It doesn't have to be just random shapes for no reason. It's like, there's a reason we're choosing these colors. There's a reason we're choosing these shapes. So, you know, that was kind of some of that as well. I'm like, you know what? Everyone knows the planets, everybody can relate and maybe even has a favorite planet. So, right. you know, I know I personally have certain things about the, the solar system that I find interesting. So maybe I can uh, take that through a geometric lens and I don't know, see what it looks like. I really didn't, didn't know if they would work or if they'd be successful. I just tried to do them. And I, I it's one of those things as an artist, I'm sure you can relate to. Sometimes you just have to do the idea. It's like, yeah. as soon as the idea is there, mm-hmm. you're going to go crazy unless you do it. So I just, mm-hmm. I had to do it.
0: Yeah. No, I've, I've had that as well. Even just, you know, silly things in Photoshop, I have an idea of like, Hey, I want to put this person with this thing or I want to do. And like, I just got to get it out of my head. Like if I get it out of my head, then I, it's, you know, it might be dumb. It might be, you know, but I'll get it done. But yeah, no, I, these, these pieces are really great. I mean, I love, uh, I, I keep uh, going back to Saturn. I like the Saturn one a lot with the, just the with the rings and the halo and stuff it's uh it's pretty awesome so so that leads us into do you have a favorite piece that you've created or a favorite collection of something that you've done that um that you look at as kind of your pinnacle of work that you've done it might it doesn't mean your other stuff's not great but if you have <laughs> something that you look at and you go oh this is one of my favorites um
1: i would say i would say the uh the planetary canvases, I'm, I'm probably most proud of. Um, they're not, they're not small. They're pretty large canvases. And so it was quite an undertaking. And it was like two full months of work to, to do them. Um, and I, like I said, I didn't have any people hitting me up to buy any of my studio artwork. I mean, I, I'm not even really known as a studio artist that much. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, I'm going to spend two months day in and day out going to the studio making these with no expectation of selling any of them. But I mean, I believed in them. And I, like I said, I did weeks of research into each planet and just, I was really passionate about it, dude. I lived planets every day, watching documentaries constantly and just anything, reading scientific papers, any kind of literature I could find on them. And I, I, I lived and breathed planets for a while. So, yeah. um, and I also wanted to be able to pass that on to like, like you said, people like your son who may may have an interest in science. You know, I was somebody like that. I wasn't, mathematically as good in the science realm or, uh, you know, chemistry and physics I struggled with, but I have an appreciation and a respect for it. Um, and I, I feel like I can dip my toes into it and find things that I resonate with. And so I feel like that series is, um, some of my best work for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I labored over it and hopefully, I hope it resonates.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it, like I said, all your other work is, is great too. Your mirror, big, Mural works that you've done, and um, I can't—I can't believe I've been to Columbus like so very many times, and I have not seen the—is uh, it Sixth Street, Fourth Street? Which is it that you? Yeah, the Sixth Street one. Sixth Street—that's what it is. Yeah, I have not seen that in person. How? When did you paint that?
1: I think I painted that one in twenty twenty.
0: Twenty twenty. I guess I haven't been there. It is. I was looking on your website for it. Yeah, it is amazing, and the way it goes up on the building and then down onto the on the street on the walkway is is phenomenal i can't believe i haven't i haven't seen it i've been to columbus dozens of times and i guess i just never went down never went down sixth street so uh i'm i'm going down there tonight hopefully i'll go see it then so nice we'll we'll see but it's uh well how did how did that come about what was that uh that process when you're working on something that large of a scale you know you're looking at it and you know like you said, we start an Illustrator, and I, I go, okay. Well, I have this sixteen by twenty canvas. I can do that in Illustrator pretty easily. When you're looking at something that has two different sides—the ones vertical and horizontal—how was, how was, what was your process and thinking when you're putting that together,
1: dude? I, that's a really good question. It's such a designer question too, because you're thinking of like what the installation process of this artwork is going to be. Um, and you know, from a design standpoint, you're going to appreciate this, um, in illustrator and just in digital, it's very easy to have the mindset of, well, it can just be as complicated or as rendered as I want it to be Mm -hmm. because in digital, it's kind of limitless. I mean, so in, in real life, I always kind of say to myself, it's like, if I do a design in illustrator that takes me 15 minutes to do on the computer, that'll equate to seven days of real life time. So literally every shape I do, Mm -hmm. I have to be very intentional because like each shape is literally hours of time Mm -hmm. and it's an entire roll of tape or it's a whole other color. So I really have to like limit the amount of colors and detail I can do. Otherwise I would never finish my projects. Um, Mm -hmm. And I learned that based on trying to do overly ambitious projects that, you know, I had to end up telling the client, look, dude, we're going to gonna have this to scale
0: this back to three colors. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it was like, I have 24 colors. We're going to have to do like 12. <laughs> so you, you just kind of learn in that regard. And, um, th- that project in particular, the way it came about, there was a, there's an architecture duo out of Columbus. Uh, they go by law office, LAA office. Okay. And, um, They're an architectural partnership, Daniel and Lulu. They do really, really cool high-class work. And I think think Daniel was from Florida, possibly, and Lulu's Mm -hmm. from New York City. I'm not sure exactly where they're from. Maybe Daniel was from Mexico. I'm not sure. But anywho, they ended up, I think, meeting when they were going to architecture school. They got married, and then Daniel took a job working for the architecture school at IU in Bloomington which is a pretty prestigious program. Um, and then Columbus, as you know, is very well known for architecture and things like that. And, you know, I think Daniel and Lulu probably looked at coming to Columbus, Indiana, as most would who even come to Indiana. Like, why are we coming here? Like, there's, there's nothing here, man. It's just cornfields, but I think Columbus grew on them (laughs) and, you know, they, they recently just had their first child here and they, they live and work in Columbus and, um, have, have really made a name for themselves. And so, doing public art projects is something they've also started bidding and, and, and trying to do more of. And um, they already were working with the Columbus Area Arts Council for the Sixth Street project. Um, they were just planning on doing the ground mural and having architecture students kind of help do some of that work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was right next to the, the building next to it. And they decided to to look around for artists who could potentially do a mural on the wall that would work in the same visual style and language as, you know, the ground mural. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even know how they found my work, but um, they ended up just sending me an email one day. And from there it was like, I saw the work that they do. They saw the work that I do and we're like, Holy crap, we're doing kind of similar stuff and didn't really know. So, So you know, it was one of those things where instantly the three of us all got along, had the same kind of creative vision, same Mm -hmm. goals. And it was just, I mean that project was as smooth as a project can and should go, and it was a it was a dream working with them. And the Columbus area Arts Council is—they're awesome, man. It was. Yeah,
0: yeah, they do a lot of great work down in Columbus with the. Um, they have um, you know so many different public uh, pieces of art, and then there's all the architecture and everything down there. It's just such a such a cool place to be, and I just I love how cities are embracing murals and embracing public art i know i'm i live in franklin indiana and we've been here in in johnson county and franklin they they do uh, a yearly contest to you know put a mural somewhere and it's just it's grown every year there's just more and more pieces and it's like it just adds to the culture and adds to just the city and i i love it so much and I, you know, they've never picked any of my artwork, but one day, you know, we'll see.
1: I I'll keep Great entering story I'll, of my life, man.
0: I will keep entering. I never Go get ahead.
1: those. I never get those open calls for murals, dude. I yeah. I never get them. I well, never, never have.
0: You never know what they're looking for, and you know, you throw out well, not my ideas art. And yeah, this is not what I'm doing. Not but... my
1: art is not what they're looking for. <laughs> right, right.
0: <laughs> so, which is you know, okay. What, what, uh, what continues to inspire you today? I know you talked about, you know, just looking at the the shapes and looking at things around the world and that's one of the things that i teach my when i I teach a design class when i'm teaching designers is to look at the world with intention you know don't just look at something oh that's a wall you know what what's that wall made out of what shapes does it make it's a square it's a rectangle you know whatever so what are you looking at that is there anybody that you follow on instagram any other artists is it music what inspires you today
1: good question I I think I've said that to almost every one of your questions (laughs) today, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of that goes back to like, like I said, my dad as a, you know, when I was a kid, he was a tinkerer. He was taking stuff apart. The world to my dad is never just what it is. Mm -hmm. It's always more complex and he's trying to figure it out and dismantle and, and process. And, you know, nothing is just static. It's always in motion, in flux and trying to figure out like you said, being, uh, what was the word you said?
0: Intentional. Intentional. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Intentional. So definitely keeping that mindset is, is good too. And I recently, um, I purchased my first dirt bike. I know this is kind of random, but, um, I've always wanted a dirt bike since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. I I watched Supercross um, at the RCA dome when I was probably six or seven or something. Right. And I was like, dude, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but my parents, they didn't want me getting hurt and breaking a bunch of bones. So I never actually rode a dirt bike. Um, and it wasn't until I saw my friend Mac riding around. He actually came to see me when I was painting one of my murals and he, he rolled up on his bike and I was like, man, like you must have a, you must have a lot of fun on that thing. And he's like, dude, you could take it around for, for a little rip if you'd like. And I was like, for real, and he's like, go for it, man. So I took it around. I did a few little loops on it. Um, And then I came back and I was like, dude, I think I need to just get my own. Like, this is so much fun. Um, And so anywho, long story short, I ended up getting into riding, um, going off-road to a few off-road parks and, and really trying to understand kind of dirt bike culture, dual sport riding. And, you know, we've done some rides in Southern Indiana down in Brown County too, which has been fun. But all this to say all of the helmet designs and like Jersey designs and Mm -hmm. also just the style of the bikes, it all looks like my artwork, (laughs) which I didn't even know. But, you know, if you go back to the early two thousands kind of motocross or early Mm two thousands supercross, a lot of the design styles really are strikingly similar to the stuff that I do in the artwork that I really enjoy. So if you go to you or uh, Google and you type in like, you know, 2023 20, KTM dirt bike. Mm-hmm. Like if you just type that in my artwork and that are speaking the same visual language. That's So awful. like, you know, as soon as I got my dirt bike, I was like, well, looks like my dirt bike is an art project now. So like <laughs> I had to custom design the graphics for it. I had to custom design all the colors, the radiator shroud, you know, yeah. I, I completely treated my dirt bike as a full blown art project, which, most people who ride a dirt bike would never, they don't really care, they don't care. You know, yeah. if, if it's yellow or green, they're like, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> I, I really delved into it. And so, you know, as a creative, as an artist, whatever you're into, even if it literally has nothing to do with art, mm-hmm. like literally riding a machine with a few wheels on it, I somehow folded that into art. And yeah. I'm, I'm now using that in my art practice to get inspiration. And, you know, it's just inspiration can come from anywhere. Um, I mean, anywhere, literally yeah. anything.
0: It'll strike at any time. And that's, I, I found for myself, I want to customize everything. Everything yeah. that I'd have, whether it's my, you know, their cell phone case or if it's, like you said, the bike or whatever. Like, if I have something that's mine, I want to customize it and make it mine. I don't want to just have a generic, everybody else has that. I want to make it look different. And I want people to notice it. I want to be like, oh, that's neat. That's different. And you're like, yes, exactly. I know, because I'm different and I'm neat. <laughs> so, Dude, 100%. So what are you working on now or in the future? Do you have any uh, murals you're currently working on or anything that you could talk about that's uh, that's in the future of works?
1: Sure. Uh, I have another mural coming coming up in Columbus um, here starting within the next month or so. Um, there's a new co-working space there called um, called Propeller. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool repurposing of the, uh, the airport in Columbus. Um, they basically got a few airport hangars and are converting them into like, you know, laser cutting and all these cool um, new tech developments that are happening there. And so I'm painting a mural on two of the building facades to kind of showcase um, the space. Nice. Um, and that's another project with law office as well. So it's cool to be able to collaborate with them on another one. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, you know, doing some studio stuff here and there. I've, I've done some freelance design things here and there too. I designed a coffee bag for uh, Helm Coffee, downtown Indy, which was super fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, any weird projects that come through, I'm, I'm down for.
0: More than happy to, to take it on. So Well, before we go, I got one last question. But if anybody wants to see uh, Nick's work, you can go to nickabstract.com. You can find him on Instagram at nick.abstract or Facebook at nick abstract, um, it's pretty much the same. Just look him up, you'll find him. It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. So Nick, uh, before you go, I got uh, one last question. Um, if you're speaking to a classroom full of creatives, uh, no matter what they're doing, if it's painting or music, what have you, um, what kind of advice would you give them as they go forth in their creative journey?
1: I'll say it again, good question.
0: That's
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, all I do here, I would... man. That's all I do. <laughs> I would give them the same piece of advice that my elementary school art teacher gave me. Um, I showed him a landscape drawing I did where the the grass was red and the sky was purple and all the colors were wrong. But I took my time and I drew it the way I saw it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I brought it to him. And instead of criticizing the colors and saying, you know, why is the sky purple? He just looked at it and he said, Nick, if that's the world you see, I'd like to see more of it until this day, I mean, that has been at the forefront of my creative process. Um, so, you know, if, if no one has ever told somebody that they need to hear that. So whatever, whatever world you see and whatever world you want to share with others, create it and make it and put it out there. Don't be afraid. It's okay. If it's different, it's okay. If it's weird, if it's dark, if it's scary, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling and whatever you're trying to communicate, just put it out there, man. And just, you know, art can be a healing process. So you know, Absolutely. when you're in your darkest of times, or or your best of times, you're gonna have great stuff that's gonna come from it. So,
0: well, Nick, I think that was great advice. You know, if if that's the world you see, I want to see more of it. I love that. Like, I wanna, I wanna like have that on my wall somewhere. You know, that's that's Heck fantastic. Yeah. Whatever, whoever that uh, that teacher was is a fantastic person, and uh, you're you're a better person for knowing that that teacher. So, I think, uh, and and you're right. Art can be healing, and it can be um, an escape from reality, or it can also put forth what your reality is. So I think, you know, it, it's whatever you make of it. And I just, I love that advice. And uh, I think it's fantastic. So Nick, I thanks, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I, uh, I love seeing your work. I hope everybody goes and checks out the, uh, your website, nickabstract.com and, and, uh, and go see some of these uh, murals in person because they're fantastic. So I look forward to seeing more of your work. And uh, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. I'm excited to see your paintings and and your design work. I was looking at your site, too. You do great stuff, man.
0: Thanks for being on here. Talk to you soon.
1: Yep. See you, buddy.
0: Each week on Create Talk Repeat, I want to leave you with some creative task or inspiration something to get your creative juices flowing this week. I want you to get your sketchbook or camera and go outside, go to a local park, walk on a nature trail or stroll around your city. Just get outside, enjoy a beautiful summer day, capturing whatever it is you see. It could be an animal, maybe some flowers, or it could be the shape of a building as it wraps around the downtown courthouse. Whatever it is, Just enjoy getting off your couch, out of your office, and go outside. I hope this helps you on your creative journey. Thanks for listening to Create, Talk, Repeat. Create Talk Repeat is a Britton Creative Production. Created and hosted by me, Dustin Brenton. Music by Creative Culture. Follow us on Facebook at Create Talk Repeat or visit our website at createtalkrepeat.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.